Hello, you are listening to Good Poetry, the podcast about exactly that. My name is Andrew Coons, and I'm your host. And today I'm delighted to have on the show John Lupin. John is a poet from Vancouver. He's very active on the Instagram poetry scene. He has a collection of poetry called My Sober Little Moon, which is available on Amazon. And he has another collection called You Only Love Me When I'm Suffering, which is coming out in September and is available for pre-order. In this conversation, we're going to talk about John's origins as a poet, about addiction, about alcoholism, and about writing poetry through pain uh, and being vulnerable. It was a really wonderful conversation, and I'm very excited to share it with you all. So I'm here with John Lupin, uh, better known to many of his readers as the Poetry Bandit on Instagram. Uh, John, thanks so much for being on the show today. My pleasure, Andrew. Thanks for having me, bud. Yeah. Um, I want to start with uh, kind of th- that that moniker um, and, and your Instagram poetry. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about where the poetry bandit came from? It's a great name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm interested, what, what was the, the thought process behind that? And did you kind of start writing poetry on Instagram? Or is that something you came to after you'd already been writing for a while? Yeah, well, I'll answer the second question first. I um, I started writing for myself as a songwriter when I was 16, and I'm I'm turning 40 this year, so it's it's quite a while quite a while ago. But I um, I started writing music when I was quite young. Um, I, w- I learned how to play the guitar at a young age, and um, my dad was a folk artist in the 70s, and um, I just kind of started listening to his old reel-to-reel recordings, and I thought, ah, that's what I want to do with my guitar career. So I started writing my own music and singing, and I wrote songs for girls, and then that turned into poetry. And then I started writing screenplays, and I wrote a fantasy novel. It's about 900 pages or so when I was in my teens and early 20s. And so that was kind of what my writing was like. It was very fantasy-based and um you know, I was in that geek realm, you know, uh, I was a comic book guy. I was doing comic books with buddies. So I was always writing a story. I was always telling a story, but I had never really given poetry much of a thought back then because I was young and I didn't really know that poetry and literary, literary journals were out there until I went to university where I did a, uh, English literature degree, but I was still mainly focused on writing novels and short stories and such. And, um, and then when I finished university, I got a full-time job, got married, had kids, and then this disease of alcoholism kind of started to take over, and I started to drink a lot. And this relates to my name, um, my pen name. So as I began to drink more and get busier with work more, and I work in the insurance industry as a, as a job and have since I was 17, so uh, an early introduction to the finance world, I... Um, I uh, began to get sucked into that liquid lunch mentality, right? So that was a big part of the industry, and I went along with it. And, uh, you know, there was no fighting. I just, you know, you know, call my wife up, and I'd be gone for an afternoon drinking, right? And um, there was always trips away from home, and, and uh, it just got out of control. So as I got more and more sucked into my disease, I stopped writing. I stopped writing music. I stopped writing in my book. I stopped writing 
for myself and I just gave it up. And it wasn't even a conscious decision. I felt like I had been robbed of my love to write. And so in 2014, when I started writing on Instagram, um, and that was a direct um, inspiration from my wife, uh, as you know, who's at Rose Clue, R-O-S-E-C-L-U, on Instagram. Uh, she started writing before I did because she was we had just gone through a couple of miscarriages around that time, and she was using the writing as a way to deal with her pain. So what I ended up doing was um, kind of seeing how it was helping her. Uh, I followed suit, and so I started writing, and I started to see that it was helping me deal with what I was going through as well. It wasn't the solution, the, the only part of the solution, but it was definitely a step towards, you know, getting sobriety right. So when I was thinking of a pen name, I first came onto Instagram in October 2014 as a writer, and I was using that pen name, The Hopeless Loser. <laughs> and I was so full of self-pity back then, and uh, it was, it really didn't fit. And a lot of people were saying, you should change your name because you're such a beautiful writer and the name doesn't fit. And um, so I kind of was thinking about what I was doing and how I was coming up with um, this love for writing again. And, and I kind of saw it as a, as a stealing back my desire and my love of writing from my addiction. Uh, and so that's how I came up with the name Poetry Bandit because I was... I was a bandit stealing the poetry from my old self and using it for good. Kind of like a Robin Hood. I wanted to go with a Robin Hood theme, but my brain was kind of like, no, that's dumb. And probably has a lot of copyright infringement issues with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is, yeah, Poetry Bandit's wholly original. And I love that story. And, you know, I know that a lot of your poetry and um, a lot of the poetry that you'll find on Instagram in general is, is, what might be classified as confessional or just very vulnerable and open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in, in your case, you know, you're writing a lot about struggles with addiction and processing that. Can you talk to me a little bit about what it was like to open yourself up that way <laughs> to people? Maybe And maybe what it's continually like um, as you've, I mean, you're up to, I think today I checked your feed and you're at like 111,000 followers that's a lot yeah. of people reading about your deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> yeah, and uh, when I first started, I was anonymous, right? So Lupin is not my real last name, and I didn't tell anybody. My wife was the only person in my immediate community who knew that I was writing, and my oldest child, actually, because she's very nosy. <laughs> I think she's actually <laughs> around the corner listening right now. But um, we... Um, we kept ourselves anonymous for a reason because we needed to do this. We needed to start this without judgment. And whether that judgment came from a place of love or a place from a place of um, misunderstanding, uh, it, 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 we just needed to avoid that. We needed it to be clean and pure, straight from the heart without any consideration of other people because that's really the only way that you can heal and be vulnerable is when you don't care about what everybody else thinks. And at the time... I was still struggling with coming out to people in my in my immediate family that I was an alcoholic and I needed help. So um, there was a time where I did tell everybody that I was sober and uh, I wouldn't be drinking anymore, and that's that lined up with my sobriety date. 
But the struggle up until then, um, I had already sort of cemented this writing persona for about a year. So for about a year, I was writing, struggling through, um, trying to stay sober. I'd get like two or three months at a time. So it was like 2014, October to July 2015. So during that whole time, uh, I was building a following and, um, and keeping it quiet. And I think that helped me get used to the idea that um, I could be vulnerable with, if I could be vulnerable, vulnerable with complete strangers, and then with people who got to know me, and um, and who grew to love me, and and uh, and what I was putting out there, uh, then maybe my immediate community could deal with that as well. So funny enough, I just actually about maybe two weeks ago told everybody so that's about four years of writing where nobody really knew what was going on and the response from everybody has been overwhelming in terms of uh, well it's been favorable and and supportive so um but yeah it it was difficult at first um just because they didn't know how it would be received um but when it started to be received with more and more people going hey i could do this as well and find healing uh, I could do this and interact with other people and create my own little community of people who are struggling with depression or anxiety or OCD or, or alcoholism or drug addiction. Um, I could see that beginning to splinter off and have all these still different subcategories. And, and you know, it was great. Created a nice little cult following and it kind of grew into more of a public thing after that. And, um, yeah, now today, it's very easy to share and be vulnerable. I, I know for me, it poetry also adds, um, in a way, another layer of armor in that yeah. it is, um, you know, you're, you're making metaphors and you're speaking in a non-natural way necessarily to, to how I would just come out and say certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that as well, that, that there's also just kind of that added layer of, yeah. you know, this is how I'm presenting it? Absolutely. And and now that I'm not so much anonymous anymore, it still works, right? It still works to the effect that you're creating a layer of complexity around a simple emotion. So the more complex, uh, the more complex the feeling, um, sometimes the more simple the language has to be and the more complex the feeling Maybe the more simple the language has to be to describe it. So I find that armor is a really great metaphor for that. And um, uh, it it's one that I don't take off very often. So it's really easy to to put that into, uh, put anything really into, into that and layer it. Um, I, I like layers. A lot of my longer poetry in my book has, has, uh, has multiple layers. So we're talking about one simple thing like heartbreak. Uh, or uh, self-realization, and you can layer it with several different types of metaphors that are somewhat related um, and create a bit of a journey for the reader instead of just coming out and saying, I don't like myself. <laughs> you know, let's let's talk about that book a little bit, um, My Sober Little Moon. And, you know, one thing that really was interesting to me when when i when i read through this book was um and and refreshing in a way is having read a lot of your instagram poetry and that's all formatted to be very short and it's Mm -hmm. almost like just snippets um it was very nice to open up the book and see longer poems Um, yeah 
So do you do you use things from your Instagram account that turn into longer poems? Do you write completely separate stuff for the book? Could you talk about that? And then also just yeah. kind of tell us the story of where the book came from. Yeah, for sure. So what I do do is um, I will do kind of both those things. I will write a small short piece that I just I come up with and I go, oh, yeah, that kind of describes this, that, and the other thing, or it's just, I like the way it sounds. Um, that comes from my songwriting days and, um, I'll, I'll put it out there, but when it comes time to write a book, for example, um, I will take that one line and then go back to my notes and re-explore the feeling and write a longer piece for it. So, um, my sober little moon was just kind of like a, a little thought, a little song that was in my head, uh, one morning and turned that into a longer piece, which is in the book on page nine. Um, you know, there are some other small pieces I just couldn't turn into a longer piece, and they just find the way they are as a short piece. But yeah, my, my goal has always been to capture the imagination of the people on Instagram. And then for those who really want to know, and for those who really love the writing, and for those who really love literature, I flesh it out and turn it into a longer piece and put it in the book. So it's uh, the book, books are really important. Um, I think if you're a poet and you're strictly on Instagram and you're just posting stuff on Instagram and you have no other goal, um, you'll just, you'll get stuck at one point and you may lose your way or you may lose that drive, or it might become just a, an addiction to a technology for you. But if you can turn that smaller piece into something beautiful, into a larger piece, then, you know, you're doing justice to language and to literature and the people who came before you. And I think that's really important to remember um, is that, uh, you know, we have a lot of predecessors in the poetry world. We still need to honor that we still need to remember. Right. And we're talking about Coleridge, Keats, Blake. Um, those are my favorites. And those are the kinds of people that, you know, I draw from. Um, and uh, I, I don't read as much as I should because I'm a dad of three kids. But, you know, um, it's uh, it's really important to remember your roots, and if your if your roots are just one large account on Instagram, and that's all you're doing, um, you know, at some point that's going to stop, and you're going to go, what was this all for, right? So I wanted I wanted the shorter pieces to become something else, and so then I have a catalog of literally hundreds of pieces I can go back and flesh out and turn into longer pieces for future books. So that's that's kind of the idea behind it. So. Uh, Sober Little Moon came around as a as an idea for a book, um, just by people bugging me, <laughs> saying, you know, you should put out a book, you should put out a book. And I so the first edition was shorter. It was 96 poems, and I uh, had some illustrations in it. But I, I didn't tap into some design folks that I should have. And uh, so the second edition is kind of what I always wanted it to be. And so um, I had a bit more money set aside, and I. Um, worked with uh, the illustrator again, added a few more pe pieces from her, and then I worked with a design firm to help me with um, the back and the front cover. So having a back cover and a spine was important. I, I wanted it to fit well with bookstores so the bookstores could feel good about putting it in there because the first edition was a little thin for a spine and it didn't have a back cover. Proud of both editions, very much so, but... Um, yeah, it was just sort of birthed from people asking me for something when, you know, they may be going for a, through a rough time or they were having an issue with um, their addiction or whatever else and they needed something. 
and they wanted something concrete. Uh, so my sober little moon is a chronicle of my first year of attempted sobriety and failings within that first year of 2014. And then a few of the poems were written probably early 2015 and just after I, I solidified my sobriety self. So, John, would you read a poem or two for us? Absolutely. Um, I'll read the title piece. Uh, so I'll read My Sober Little Moon. And it's sort of a, an ode or a summary to the feeling I would get when, um, during the first year of attempted sobriety, I became very self-aware of the feelings I would get and that would lead me back to drinking. So that's, that's what this poem is about. It's happening again, that overflowing of cups, that no control, out of control, that dizzy, devilish declaration of destruction. I guess I deserve it for laying it out on the table like a bouquet of gas station I'm sorry's that died in the car while I was circling the block, figuring out how to explain the booze on my slithering tongue. But she loved me, truly loved me, more than any other. So while I became happy with becoming friends with the hum of the furnace in my heart, in her heart, nothing felt better than her first words spoken in forgiveness. So contrary to what you've heard, I do love wolves and cats and roses most of all, but all I need right now is the friendly hand of a stranger to wipe my tears away and call evens and damn the odds like the left-handed kid in boarding school. So beat me, bind me, berate me, break me, but never believe that I will hate you in return because I have seen the kind face of forgiveness on this dark side of my sober little moon. That is a wonderful poem. And I, I yeah. think one of the first things that stuck out to me as I have it here on the page is in the line, I do love wolves and cats and roses, most of all. Roses <laughs> is capitalized, uh, yeah, obviously that's... referencing your wife. Yeah, and wolves and cats were a reference to uh, a couple of groups of writers that I had been having uh, uh, some <laughs> some run-ins with over uh, the way that Instagram poetry should unfold and and what I was doing with it and how I was uh, exposing my flaws because I was exposing their flaws as well and they didn't really like that so that was a that was a reference to them no names but uh, let's see oh I'm gonna read little red as well on page 14 lately I've been so doggone tired and when I say tired, I don't mean I'm strung out on my daybed, forlorn, and begging the Sandman to beat me senseless. No, I'm tired as in I'm tired of always carrying this desire around like Red carried hell in a handbasket to grandmother. She may have loved her enough to bring her some stale baking, but she brought the wolf too. And this is how I feel. I carry my secret napalm dreams of drinking everywhere I go gassing the whole lot of family and friends along the merry way. But that is how it is when you are in recovery. With the best of intentions, I bring the wolf in a bloody gas mask. I love the image that you create of Little Red Riding Hood being <laughs> uh, more of a foreboding, ominous, more of the monster herself. So Red Riding Hood actually brought the wolf along, right? She was the one who lured her to Grandma's house. She was the one who spilled the beans and, 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 you know, if it wasn't for the huntsman, would have killed her grandmother, right? She would have been indicted for second degree murder <laughs> or manslaughter or whatever, right? Um, but yeah, so I, I've always kind of liked, and, and there's, there are themes in this book and, and in other books, um, in the other book I've done, 
um, where I've taken fairy tale characters and turned them into something else. And I, I'm kind of hoping that maybe takes on its own life in a future book. But um, but yeah, it's always fun to do that. So I wonder if you would uh, indulge me and read a, a favorite of mine from the book. Sure, absolutely. And uh, that is Wine, Worry, War, Part 2. Wine, Worry, War, Part 2. When I awake, wine, worry, war, sit with leashes in their mouths, waiting for the morning walk. I've barely time to wipe sleep's mischief from my eyes, and already they want my attention. And I give it. I have to. They are always on my mind. I'm enslaved. Certain parts of my mind don't fire the right kind of weapons to fight off their reminders. For example, I could be arranging my life in alphabetical order, and war will remind me that it needs to be groomed. Or wine will bark and bark and bark and bark and never stop. Until I give it what it wants. Worry is different. She just follows me around, somewhat like that mangy mutt guilt does from time to time. I didn't have any pets until I started to live sober, and I'm hoping that one day I can have real dogs. For now, wine, worry, and war will have to do. There's two lines in there um, that really catch my attention. And the first being, uh, certain parts of my mind don't fire the right kind of weapons. <laughs> because there's a, you know, as I started to read that line, I immediately went, okay, he's going to say neurons. Yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> and then you go with weapons to fight off their reminders. And I love that yeah. turn of something that we're all so accustomed to hearing that relates Absolutely. to mental health. Yeah. That relates to the science of it, but then puts it in that poetic phrase. Yeah, and uh, I've always and I've kind of always looked at the as the mind as a as a weapon of mass destruction to a certain degree, and that that metaphor plays really well if you have a, if you have a mental illness. Um, for a long time, my OCD went unchecked, and it was what made me a really great drinker. <laughs> um, but at the same time, uh, drinking helped me numb the obsessive thought portion of my OCD, which is you know, just to worry about something and to get anxious about it until I make the wrong move or I say the wrong thing. When I finally had a, two years of sobriety under my belt, I went back to the doctor this past summer and got the right med and the right dosage. And um, my life is completely different now. But when I wrote that piece, it was a war. It was just, and so, I, you know, the firing of a synapse was like a firing of a weapon. And when it stops firing and the wrong thing happens. It was just kind of like having a dud or having a, a gun that wouldn't fire. The other, the other line that really sticks out to me is, and it's, it's incredibly sad, even if it is kind of coming from a place of victory, um, is where you say, I didn't have any pets until I started to live sober and I'm hoping that one day I can have real dogs. Yeah. Obviously talking about <laughs> wine, worry and war being your pets that follow you around guilt too. Yeah. Um, and I think what I love about that is that it, it is kind of admitting the melancholy of how, at least this is how I read it. The melancholy mm -hmm. of, of how your life, even when it's changing for the better, it changes. Oh, absolutely. And there's, and there's new battles and there's there's comfort in the routine. And even if that routine is destructive, uh, it, it's it's challenging to change. Yeah, you're, you're bang on. Like uh, the, that first year, well, even though you, you ride what we call a pink cloud, you're still exposing yourself to everything you've done in the past. So if you do a 12-step program, you're constantly looking at your character defects 
and you're looking at your past and you're apologizing to the people in your life for those things. And so that's where the reference of war comes from, right? You, you have to apologize to people, but you don't want to. Um, you're worrying about everything because you no longer have, you no longer self-medicate. And then you also have the wine, which is, you know, was my choice of, of drink. Um, you know, it, it just never, you know, it always beckons. It's always there. It's everywhere you go, right? It's kind of like a dog that follows you around. So you also have another book coming out in mm-hmm. September. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. And I, I, I believe this first one was self-published, My Sober Little That's Room. Correct. But this time you are with a publishing company. Yeah, this was quite interesting. Uh, the way this kind of came about was uh, uh, another friend of mine in the poetry world on Instagram um, had been approached by Macmillan's St. Martin's Press. So they own St. Martin's Press. So they were, they've done books with this particular lady before. And then they asked her for a couple of names of, of poets that might fit with their business model, of, you know, making a go in the poetry world. And so she put my name, uh, towards them. And at first I was really skeptical. I was like, who is this person? And why is this carrot being dangled in front of me? Cause this does not happen to me. <laughs> So um, they threw a contract at me, and um, I, I couldn't say no. I had all these other pieces ha- hanging around, and I didn't know what I was going to do with them. I, I obviously would have put them into a book, but I hadn't really settled on anything yet, and I was just sort of writing this book out. And um, and I was kind of feeling at the moment that maybe my dream of being a published author and getting into bookstores was not going to go according to plan, um, because when you self when you self-publish, there's a lot of marketing to do, and I'm a fairly busy dude with three kids and a full-time job, and 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 my wife is, uh, even though my wife is here with me every step of the way, it's still busy for two people. So when the offer came and I had a look at the contract and uh, I asked them what they wanted, um, they had already done a lot of research on me and my work, and they had already come up with a title, and so. Um, they said, this is what we want you to do. They wanted 200 poems. I gave them 200, and they were putting 180 of them in the book because they figured uh, shorter is probably better. And so that's a good-sized book, and um, it's called uh, You Only Love Me When I'm When I'm Suffering. And that's a direct um, quote. That's a short piece I posted, and they really loved it. And they thought this would be great for a book about melancholy and sadness and and I thought, oh, that's my uh, that's my bread and butter. What was the process like writing that book, especially writing with a bit of an agenda in mind, knowing that you're writing for a publisher, you're writing kind of within the confines of this is the topics they wanted you to write about? Yeah, it was uh, it was a little bit different um, uh, because I was I knew that there'd be an audience immediately before it would get published. And so um, I had to work really hard at first to get myself mentally prepared not to care (laughs) and just keep doing me and keep writing the way I've always been writing. And so once I got past that, um, I found it was very easy. And I put 200 pieces together in about a week and a half, um, typed them all out, sent them to in a a word draft, and they loved it. And they thought, uh, they said, we're just going to cut 20 poems. We didn't feel fit the theme exactly. And so those were pieces that I had written about certain family members or my experiences with my grandfather and, um, and with my family. So that way now I have 
20 poems already set up for maybe another book about that. Being sober actually gave me, gave me the opportunity to be able to park my ego, which is why I was okay giving stuff up and putting it in the book because I thought exposure is exposure. And um, if someone wants to help me tell my story, I, I wasn't going to stop them. So, John, at the end of every episode, we like to end with uh, a reading of a poem. Uh, would you take us out with one more from My Sober Little Moon? Absolutely. I'm going to read to you uh, back, uh, Come Back to Me on page 118. Come back to me when you have nothing left. Because right now, I can see you holding on to that shred of what you name pride, but I call it ego, or they call it bravery. Well, we're not brave, but you are holding on to this notion you are in some way, just like everyone else. Just another person on this planet blessed with the ability to do this in moderation. But such a thing does not exist. It is and ever will be engraved upon the tombstones up one side and right down the other of this long road home. When you get there, give it up. All of it. All this bullshit that says that you need a glimpse of heaven bathed in booze in order to wash yourself clean in the sweet light of recognition. Come back to me, but come back when you have nothing left but the will to live a new life, one free of your old self. John Lupin, The Poetry Bandit. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. If you'd like to read more of John's work, you can find him on Instagram, and his book, My Sober Little Moon, is available on Amazon. His new book, You Only Love Me When I'm Suffering, is available for pre-order. And I'll put the link in the show notes for this episode. Thank you for listening, and if you'd like to follow Good Poetry, you can do so on Instagram, at Good Poetry Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook and Patreon. Until next time, happy reading, and we look forward to bringing you more good poetry.